Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Acts twenty-seven thirty-nine. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship, if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word today. You may be seated. This is the, the 41st message in this series on the book of Acts, and it is the penultimate of the series. And if you say well, penultimate, what does that mean? It's the next to last. Next to last. So, Lord willing, next week we'll finish out the, the book of Acts with the last so many verses of um, chapter 28. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen the sovereignty of God, if you would, being played out uh, in the life of Paul. Um, God had promised in the very beginning of Paul's ministry, of his conversion and ministry, that he would uh, witness before kings. And then while he was in Jerusalem, Jesus came to him and said not to worry because he was going to be going to, uh, to Rome. And then um, even on the boat, God had told him that he would uh, be able to share the, the testimony to Caesar. And so God was working out in a special way of moving Paul toward Rome. And it all began, if you, think, if you go back and think through, with an um, unwarranted um, accusation by the Jews. Um, and the Romans then, instead of analyzing it all and, and, and releasing him as they should have, arrested him, placed him in prison. 
and he was in prison for a few years while several Roman officials were unwilling to face public pressure and go against the public sentiment, but rather kept him in, in jail. Um, and so Paul wound up then appealing unto Caesar. But in God's sovereignty, God began to use that time, even while he was imprisoned, to begin to fulfill his word to Paul. And so while he was there in prison in Caesarea, he had the opportunity to give the gospel to several of the Roman officials, and then even also to King Agrippa. So God said you would do it, you'd even proclaim unto kings, and so there while he was in prison, he had the opportunity to stand before King Agrippa. But then God was going to begin to fulfill that plan of sending him off to Rome. And so last week we saw how this played out. And so they left Caesarea, went up to Sidon. They stopped at Sidon um, for a, a, probably to be, get more cargo for the ship, which was going up to Adrimidium. And, um, and they let Paul go and be able to fellowship with his friends. Remember that? But then they got back on, and their goal was to follow the coast of the province of Asia as they went up uh, to Adramidium. Boy, this is a word. I can't get this word. Adramidium. Okay, and so as they're going up to Adramidium, okay, they're going to follow the coast of the province of Asia. But God decided to send a contrary wind, and he pushed them below um, Cyprus and on over to Crete. At Crete, they were at Fairhavens, and there was a debate on what they needed to do because they were there after the fast. They were in time for the hurricane season that was going to come. Um, we know it then as the Euclidean, which we'll see in a moment, and then I'll share with you in just a moment as well. That today we refer to these as medicanes. And so not Medicare, but Medicaid. Okay? And so we'll come to that in a moment. But so there, they're making the debate. Paul says, I theorize, I foresee that there is going to be bad things that happen if we take off from here. But the owner says, we can't port, we can't winter in Fairhavens because it's on the wrong side of Crete. And so they make the decision that they want to move over to Phoenix or to the very end of the Isle of Crete where there's a, a northern port as well. And that's where they're going to head. But while they're going, God sends the Euryclidon um, and they get pushed all the way over to the Isle of Malta. On the way, while they're trying to make headway in the storm, because remember, they're going to try to push themselves up to Italy. Okay, So they're trying to get up toward Italy, so they're jettisoning cargo and stuff like that, trying to fight their way into the storm to get up there, but the storm's coming greater and greater to the point where they don't even know where they're at um, when they're done. Okay, And so they, they jettison the cargo, but then on the way, just before they crash, Paul stands up and amongst them all and says, hey guys, listen, God sent an angel to me. We're all going to be safe. Everyone on this ship, you're all going to make it. However, the ship's going to be destroyed, Okay, but you're all going to be safe. So then some of the, the sailors, they get in the, the, the lifeboat, right? They're trying to take off, pretending like they're throwing out some more anchors off the prow, right? And Paul sees them and says, what? They can't, yeah, yeah, they, right. So if you let those guys leave, then, then God's promise is gone, okay? It's not going to happen. So the centurion takes take charge of the boat at that moment. That's an important step as we, as we saw last week and we see again coming into this week, okay? He takes the, the control of the boat and tells them, no, they can't do that. They cut the rope, okay? The boat goes free, and so everybody now is stuck on the boat, okay? But as we saw last week, God's word came to pass just as he declared it would come to pass, and every, the boat crashes, everybody is saved, and they get on shore, okay? So we're going to pick it up right in that spot again, but now with more details. I've shared this many times, but God's word 
is full of details. And he places details in his word for a reason. Because he wants us to know them. Now, honestly, as I go through the book of Acts, what I see is a lack of detail sometimes. I see a lot of details in there. But I see a lack of detail sometimes because there's more things I want to yeah, I want to know about what happened there. I want to know more about the centurion that we're going to talk about. I mean, I, I want to know. Can I have a follow-up? I was listening to, have you guys ever heard of G.A. Hinty books? Some, some of you guys, G.A. Hinty, okay. So um, I love G.A. Hinty, and I've learned a lot of history reading G.A. Hinty. And Beric the Briton is one of his first books, and it's on the Britons, and it's on a time when Rome conquers the Britons. And Beric is a fictional um, but he's a fictional chief of one of the, the tribes of the Bretons. In the book, unbeknownst to me, so I'm finishing, I'm listening to it. It's been made into a radio drama. And so I was listening to it. Uh, Heirloom Audio, you can look it up. Anyways, they've got a lot of GA Hinties, and they're really, really good. Okay, so I, was ex- I splurged on Bob um, a couple weeks ago, and I bought some more of the, of the radio dramas. And so I listened to one the last couple weeks in the car. Anyways, I finished it up this week. And what's really kind of fun is that I think GA Hinty feels the same way. Because in that, he introduces the centurion um, that was with Paul. And, uh, and he becomes a Christian. And so he's introducing, he introduces Christ to Beric. Anyways, Beric the Briton becomes a, a believer. And it's because of Julius, who winds up being the centurion, who saw all what we're going to talk about with Paul and what happens on the island and everything. And they go through the whole, in the book, as you're doing, like, this is really cool. And so this is from the first-hand perspective of Julius recording and de- declaring what he saw happen on this trip on, on, in the boat and what he saw happen on the Isle of Malta. And, and so he realized. And so it's not in the Bible. It's conjecture. But I, but I thought it was really kind of funny because I'm already, I think I mentioned it last week, I'd love to know what's going on with this guy. And so it was really kind of fun to hear the rest of this. And G.A. Hinty must have thought the same thing and he just kind of threw it into his book. Anyways, and so we want to look at the details today of how God delivered Paul, not just once, but twice in this little passage that we're going to be looking at today. And then what the impacts of these deliverances are. So first of all, and you see I don't have any blanks for you in the very beginning. You've got all the, the, the words all there because I'm not going to have any spots for any blanks up here. So, so you have everything I'm going to talk about from the very beginning, okay? Now, what's a medicane? A medicane is a hurricane in the Mediterranean, okay? And so a medicane, okay? They're very rare, okay? But they do happen. Now, rarity for them means that it's not happening every year. Okay, but there have been numerous of them, 60 of them since the mid-1900s, okay, and so they're not rare, 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 they're just not as frequent as a cyclone or a uh, uh, Atlantic hurricane, and so this is a picture of an an actual one, and I have this and then the next one because that's the Isle of Malta, and that's the Isle of Crete, and you can see where this one, where the satellite uh, imagery is at, okay, so this would be pretty much close to where they were, that it, it would have been a little bit further down, okay, but this one, Kind of covers the whole thing, doesn't it? You know, could you imagine being in one of those little boats with the sails? You couldn't even handle a kayak. I said you had troubles with a kayak, right? (laughs) Anyway, sorry, bad bad timing to pick it out, huh? But think about it. We do. We struggle with with even regular boats, right? Could you imagine being in a boat with just sails, and you have hurricane-forced winds coming against you? Now you can start to kind of imagine why they're lightening the load and they're, they're, they're bringing down the sails and stuff like that and trying to figure out what they're going to do. That's why they cut the ropes to the rudder. They give up trying to, to, to guide it. Just let it go where it's going to go. All we're going to do is break the rudder. We don't want to do that, right? So all this is going on, but there's a lot of details now in this passage 
that, that are very important. We're going to actually pick it up in verse 27 of chapter 27. Yeah, 27, 27. Yeah, cool. Okay, verse 27 of chapter 27. Okay, I had um, Chuck begin reading later in, the, in verse 37, right? Yeah, 37, okay? And so we'll pick it up down in this area. But beginning of verse 27, it says, Now when the 14th night had come, so the 14th night, okay, that they're just being driven in this thing where they have no idea where they're going. At the beginning part, they were able to try to fight their way, try to steer, try to whatever. But then it came to a point when they just can't, they couldn't even do anything because of the size of the storm. And they're just being driven wherever, okay? But we're given details, okay? Note the details that we're given. As we are driven up and down in the what? The Adriatic Sea. We're given a detail, observations, of where they were at. They were in the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. Now, what do you think it looks like at midnight in the middle of a hurricane out in the middle of the, uh, the sea? It's very dark. Not a whole lot of moon and stars that you're going to go by. It's very dark. But these are seasoned sailors. And they sensed. I'm not a seasoned sailor. So I stop for a moment, and I think, how did they sense that they were nearing shore? How did they sense that something was happening? I don't know, but they did, right? They knew something was happening. There was some sound, something happening, going on, uh, that they understood that the waves were getting larger, potentially, okay? And, and, and so that they must be getting close to shore, and so they began to do what? They began to take soundings, some 20 fathoms, and then when they go in a little further, they were 15 fathoms, and then they dropped four anchors. Well, first of all, let's talk about this Adriatic Sea. In what we call the Mediterranean Sea, they're really, it's made up of multiple seas. Yeah, I don't know if you did that on purpose, but that's exactly what I did when I first researched it, too. And, huh, really? And yes, really, there are actually, the Mediterranean is actually down here. This is actually the Alboran Sea, the Balearic Sea, the Tyrrhenian Sea. Um, we'll get to the Adriatic and the Ionian for a moment, and the Aegean Sea that's over here. So you get all these seas, which I normally would just say that was all the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, I mean, that's why they're called Medicanes, right? I mean, we don't call them the Tyrrhenes and the Balearic Sea, whatever, you get what I'm saying, okay? But there's all these different little seas that are there, and I'll explain to you because it's very important. Again, details in the Word of God. What is happening here? Well, back at that time, the Adriatic and the Ionian Sea were actually seen as one, okay? So instead of being the, the Ionian Sea, it was all just the Adriatic Sea, okay? So that means that the boat must have come off a of Crete and made its way north enough to be up in this area, okay? And you're going to understand in a moment why, because I just asked a few, few weeks ago to someone, I wonder why, what, what? Why makes this sea this sea and that sea that sea? Why isn't it an ocean? Why is it a sea? Why isn't it a big lake? I mean, why is it da 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 da? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you ever think about those things. I am I am addicted to information sometimes. You know, I'm just like I hear things. I was like, I want to know this. Why is this? Well, this study answered a lot of that for me. It was really kind of cool. Okay, so you have this. Adriatic Sea thing, okay? So then they took the soundings, right? So they make their way up in this way, and they're coming down. And somewhere in this area, they figure out what? We're closing on land. It's midnight. They can't see the land. They don't know it, but something tells them they are. So they began to drop their little rock thingies down there, their soundings, right? And they go down to it, what? It's the water. I get that from, from being in 
from being in Canada. There were some times when the storm was up. I don't know where the, the boat's at. I want to know how deep it is. Sometimes we drop you know, a, a lure down till it stopped, and we can kind of figure out how far it is to the bottom before we start scraping bottom of the, the pontoon boat or the V-Hall or whatever we're in, right? So I got that part. Sure, I get that. But they're going a little further than I would go, okay? And so they found that this has happened, and so they decide they're going to drop four anchors, okay? And so Look at that. Isn't that kind of fun? We'll talk about that anchor in just a moment. In fact, later on, they what? They cut the anchors. Now, I'll share it now. What's fun about this is, again, I already mentioned, there is enough detail in here that literally the wreckage of Paul's boat was found. This is one of the anchors from that ship. Isn't that kind of cool? And a, and a guy named um, Bob Cornuke found it and you can go on YouTube and you see his videos. He's got four different things, and I've got the, the actual videos, but you can find them on YouTube and watch them. He found it based upon what we're studying right now. He used the details of what we're reading right now, what we're studying, to find it. So, what's the next step? Well, they saw this place, but they didn't what? They didn't recognize the land. Now, when you read it, you read about the natives and all this kind of stuff. This is actually the term barbarians. We'll talk about that in a moment. And you think, well, of course, this was just a, an island that nobody ever went to. Uh, far from it. Actually, the northern part of Malta was very used. They had, they, they had um, the harbors and everything that was up there because of Roman trade. They went down to North Africa all the time. Valletta is up here. Valletta actually started, you can see, see that little blue line coming down into it. That's Valletta. That's it from 1500s, 1400s. But even before that, they were using that part as a, as a stop point from there to Africa and then um, other places along the northern shore there of Africa. And so they would have understood it if they were coming from the north. Does that make sense? Now, what's interesting is the Catholic Church um, and, and everybody has called this little place up here St. Paul's Bay. You might not be able to read that. I can read it from up here. Okay, But that's called St. Paul's Bay. That's where the wreck happened. It's not where the wreck happened. Okay? Okay? But, again, it's a great tourist spot, you know, because it's got a nice bay and a nice beach and everything else, and so, boom, it becomes St. Paul's Bay, and everybody goes there. But it doesn't match the details that are here recorded in, in the book of Acts. They would have recognized the shoreline. If they were coming off it, they would have said, oh, we're in Malta. They had no idea where they were at, right? So they did not observe, they did not recognize the land, but they observed the bay with a beach. Ah, so we have a bay with a beach, right? So we know we got a bay. We know we have a beach. But they don't recognize where it's at. Where could it be? Well, we're given then a little bit more detail. It was striking a place where two seas met. Where two seas met. How do you get two seas meeting? It's all one big thing then. It's just an ocean. It's not. Actually... There is a spot where the two seas meet. You ready for this one? This is, comes from Google, Google imagery. Okay? And so this is the Isle of Malta. We're coming into it. And for those who have better eyesight, can you see how the land formation right here underneath the water bubbles up? That's because there's a reef there. And wherever you have the two seas meet, the currents come together, and they, and they smack against each other, and they form a, a reef. And so if you can, um, let's go to the next one. Okay, so this is the St. Thomas's Bay. And if you can see coming off of here, if you can see that level light line coming out there, that's the reef, the sandbar that's coming out. Isn't that kind of cool? 
there is an actual spot where the Ionian or Adriatic Sea meets the Mediterranean Sea. Fun? We go to the next place, and that's it. That's the spot, and you can see where the waves are just crashing against each other because they're coming from two different directions, and they smack each other. Okay? So could you imagine what that place looks like in a storm? When you got a, a hurricane coming through, and it's just causing even more ha- mayhem with the, with the waves, okay? And so, so that's looking out to that spot, and this is looking the other way into what the, the cove looks like, okay? This is St. Thomas's. Not necessarily a what? A great-looking uh, beach to, to stop at, but that's exactly what happens, right? The prow comes and gets stuck into the reef. You know, we're at up in here, I don't know. And so while the prow is stuck into the, the, that, all the, then the, the storm is pushing the waves up from behind them, and it crushes them, and it crushes the boat from the back. It's just kind of getting pushed, and it's just on the stern, just coming over, and, and it's just breaking apart. And so some of them who can swim, they jump off, and they, they swim to shore. The others who can't swim, all they can do is get a piece of the boat, and what? Hope for the best, okay? They're going to float to shore. And we know from God's word that what? God sends them all to the shore, and they all survive, just like God said. We'll talk about that in a moment, okay? So the shipwreck, the details of the wreck, okay, is really an amazing thing. Well, what about the rescue, okay? These are actual pictures. These aren't paintings, but these are actual pictures of a storm back in, I think it was 2021, um, uh, one of the Medicanes that came through. And so you can see what the waves look like when a Medicane comes through, and that's the Isle of Malta right there, okay? So could you imagine being in a boat, in the middle of that. And you're trying to swim the shore. Do you think it was a miracle? I think it's a miracle. Isn't it phenomenal? I mean, again, when we just look at, we read the, words, God, the word of God, and sometimes we just read through things. But when you start to research it, and you begin to realize what all God is telling us, it's a phenomenal thing. God gives us such great detail about what he's doing in this moment, in his great love, and how he's delivering these people in the midst of this thing. Now, does God do that all the time? No, he didn't have to. But there are times when God does special things, miraculous things, because he has a purpose. Now, he has a purpose even in the, point, the times when he's what? Not doing the miraculous. Because God works what? All things together for good, for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Okay? Not necessarily my purpose, our purpose. He has a purpose, and he's playing at his purpose. Now, we know his predestined purpose for me is to be conformed to the image of Christ, but also he's placed me on the earth. He told Peter, follow me, and I will what? I will make you fishers of men. So God has a desire for me while I'm on the earth to be his ambassador, to be able to represent him, to be able to share his story so that other people may come to know him as the, again, the ancient of days, the one true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who, who was, who is, and who is to come. That's who I'm supposed to be representing and what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's my purpose, to look more like him and to share him with those I come in contact with, right? Well, the plight of getting, getting to shore is just an amazing thing, especially if you don't know how to. I mean, if you know how to swim, that's still pretty intimidating, okay? But if you don't know how to swim, now you know why the sailors, who were the most seasoned, were trying to get into that little lifeboat. <laughs> they weren't lucking the odds of them diving into the water because they're the guys who can swim, right? They're not liking the odds of diving into the water and trying to get to shore. But God brings them all to shore. Every single one of them, including 
the prisoners. Important. None of the prisoners escape. Kind of reminds you of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, doesn't it? Don't kill yourself. We're all still here. We're going to be talking about Paul. We're going to be talking about Publius. We're going to talk about the censorian a little bit. But wouldn't you like to have been one of those other, not really be, but you go and talk, one of those other prisoners? And you're, and you're seeing all this stuff play out. What effect would this have upon you? I mean, you see this prisoner. Prisoner. He's a prisoner. And he's standing firm in his faith, and you're watching his God deliver you. I mean, the, centuri- the Roman soldiers want to kill you, but you're spared because of this other prisoner in the respect that he's gaining among all the, all the soldiers. And you survive. Well, only to go to this wild native land, right, that you don't know where you're going, and a bunch of barbarians that are there. Well, then you find out that you're really on the island of what? Malta. And these barbarians, and it's literally, I call them barbarians, because that's literally the Greek word. They're barbers. Okay, they're barbarians. That's what they're referred to, okay? Later, they're going to be referred to as islanders, okay? But they're literally barbarians. That when they first land on the shore, they don't know where they are. All they know is they got these natives, barbarians, coming at them. What's your first thought when you don't know where you're at and you've got a bunch of people coming after you? They might have had swords on them. I mean, because most people at that time would have carried their weapons with them, right? Who knows? But you got all these people coming. I'm not quite sure your first thought is, this is a welcoming party, you know? And so, but these barbarians come, and what we're told is that they greet them and they welcome them. What were the conditions? Again, details. Say again. It was storming. Yeah, we're told that. It was raining. I mean, and so they make them a fire. Because they see their needs. These aren't Christians. These are barbarians. So this isn't like they, they just happened to go into a church and all the believers came out and they're taking care of it. No, these weren't believers. These were barbarians who understood the love of man. Literally, that's the word that's used here. Is the, literally, the Greek word is philanthropy. That when they um, it made us all welcome. They, oh, unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome. They philanthropied us. They loved us with just common humanity. That causes me to pause. How many times do I pass people up with a lack of philanthropy? With a lack of just common kindness, a love for humanity. You know, 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about the, the guy who was shacking up with his, his dad's wife, and he says, this is something that even the Gentiles wouldn't do. And you guys are what? You're putting up with it. You think this is all kind of grace, and you're going to boast about this thing. Sometimes I think the world shames us. when they do that which God has declared we ought to do. I mean, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And Jesus continued it, and he said the second is 
like unto it, lo- like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, I'm not even talking about the Ten Commandments, and I'm not talking about the 613 or whatever there is in the Old Covenant. I'm talking about Jesus boiled down to two. Philanthropy is number two. Actually, it's agoanthropy. Agapaoanthropy is number two. But I can't even get to philanthropy. And so if you remember the three major forms of love, there's eros, there's phileo, so arao, but eros, phileo, and agapao. Erao, or eros, is where we get our word erotic from. It's selfish love. It's, I love you for what you do for me. I love pepperoni pizza. I love donuts. I love whatever. Makes sense? Until pepperoni pizza doesn't do me any good anymore, until donuts cause me to almost die, and now I don't what? And they did. I overdosed on a donut. You can always say that your pastor overdosed one day. I did. And it was sin unto me. I knew I shouldn't eat that donut because I was allergic to the milk that was in it, but I couldn't help myself. Oh, yeah, major asthmatic reaction that night. And so the next night, if you were here long enough, you know I didn't even come to one that next Wednesday night because I couldn't get it in my body. And all I could think of all night while I'm doing this asthmatic thing, it was like the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. I don't love donuts anymore unless Marcia makes them with my milk. Anyways, then I can love them again. But I had an erotic, if you would, you, eros, okay, love for donuts. Make sense? I loved them as long as they were what? They loved me. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Phileo, then, is I love you like a brother. I, I, even, well, not just brother because you think family, but I like you like a, I mean, just like friend or whatever. And man, if you need a, a shirt, man, I'll give you the shirt off my back as long as I know there's another one in the closet. If you need something to eat and I got a bowl of porridge and it's big enough, I'll share it with you. But if it's kind of small, I'll pray for you, brother. I'm praying for you. We laugh, but think about it. How many times do you hear about a need from somebody and you say what? I'll pray for you. Rather than, here, I've got this much in here. It's yours. Isn't it what Philippians chapter 2 says? Is the mind of Christ? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I need to consider each one of you as more valuable than me. I need to consider your needs as more important than my needs. That's kind of rough. But that's what we're called to. These natives, barbarians, they were living it out. And they probably didn't even know the teachings of Christus. They didn't know the teachings of Jesus. And yet they're living it out. So I just want to challenge you with that. That's, again, this is an all-play moment. Bob's kind of challenged by this, so it makes me feel better if I dump it on you, okay? So, um, so the philanthropy of the barbarians. Well, then we go into this second incident of his deliverance, and that is the serpent. Now, you've got to remember again, this snake that comes out of the woodpile, right? The barbarians, the natives, the islanders, they recognize it as a serpent. They recognize it as a poisonous snake. This isn't something that the, the sailors and the soldiers, right? So the ones who would know, know what it is. Why is it there? Well, it's raining, it's storming, it's, it's cold, it's, it's, it's been hiding in the, in the woodpile, right, for a shelter. 
Paul goes over and he grabs the bundle of sticks that are there, unknowingly, right? Just picks it up and throws it in. I remember Greg Moffat is my, I loved calling him my redneck mentor. He taught me how to hunt, taught me how to fish and all that kind of stuff. And one of the first things as we were walking through the woods he taught me was, don't just go traipsing over those logs like that. Because you don't know what's laying underneath the other side of it. And when you find out, it's too late. Okay? Because that's where they kind of hang out. That's where they're holding up. You can see them from this side, potentially. But you don't see them when they're on the other side. And so, you know, Bob, the city guy, was just taking this little hike through the woods, enjoying the, the moment, right? And so I had to be taught the respect that I needed to have walking through their territory. <laughs> Make sense? Well, Paul just picks up this bundle, throws it on the fire. What would you do if somebody was throwing you on a fire? <laughs> okay? The snake latches out, right? It's like, this isn't a fun moment. What are you trying to do with me? We're not eating me today, right? And so he jumps out of the wood. He latches onto Paul, right? Paul takes him and just shakes him off into the fire. Be gone with you, serpent. You know, but he gets bit by him. I don't know if you've ever been bit by a, a poisonous snake. I had my little scratch. It was close. And um, the doctor told me, well, you're going to be really glad that you got your finger out of the way in time. I did something dumb. Kids don't play with snakes. Anyways, <laughs> I didn't get it close enough to the head in order to get Anyways, so it went back at me. But the point is that when they strike, they're going to do what? They're going to they're give you something to remember them by. Okay? And if you get a baby, they're going to give you everything they got because they haven't learned that they might want to reserve some. Okay? And so the natives know he got bit by the snake, right? And so instantly, when he gets bit by the snake, they don't know him from Adam. Well, in fact, they probably didn't even know Adam. But you get what I'm saying, right? They see this guy get bit by a snake, a poisonous snake at that, and they make the assumption, the condemnatory assumption. How often do we do that? How often are we like Job's friends? And we make an assumption about somebody without knowing the facts. Clearly, this is a murderer who, though he has escaped the sea, the gods wouldn't let him get away with this. And so he has been destroyed here on land rather than getting away with the, what, he's, what he's done. And so they're watching for him to what? Die. I mean, what does it tell you right off the bat? They were watching him. They were watching for him to die. Give me some more details. A, they were superstitious, animistic, or something like that. They, they knew from experience what potentially normally happened, the swelling, and that they're going to... Thank you. Yes. What is not stated is they didn't help. I'm sure that they probably had some what? Superstitious voodooism, whatever kind of stuff, to try to suck the poison up, spit it aside, whatever. Make sense? Okay. And so, again, we just kind of make these guys like they're living in caves and stuff like that, but they're not. Okay. And so it's just happened to be living on an island. Okay, and so probably by this point, they probably have some ideas of poultices and stuff like this that they're going to put on this kind of thing to try to draw the poison out. They don't offer him any help because instantly they've decided what? He's a murderer and he deserves this. Do we do that? Do we judge people? 
And so we look at them and say, they deserve it. And we watch them rot. Ah, just rot now, baby. You deserve this one anyway. How sad. How sad. We oughtn't do that. Again, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Jesus said, even expounding upon that in Matthew chapter 5, you're supposed to love your enemies and pray for those who just you. Ouch. I have no excuse not to love somebody. Do you realize that God died, Jesus died, for every single individual who lives on the face of the earth? And I'm going to state a name, and I don't mean this as rude, but you'll get what I'm saying. Vladimir Putin. I mean, I know he's the one that we vilify as Americans all the time. But do you realize that Jesus died for Vladimir Putin? Do you know that God loves him? Do you know that God loved Adolf Hitler? He died for him. I'd like to think that at some point Adolf Hitler got saved before he died. I don't think so. I think he probably came to face to face with the one true God, and it was a really awful moment. It might have been before he died, just as he died. Maybe God said, ah, and and died. That would be a really bad moment. You know, you're standing before the judgment seat of God at that moment. But Jesus died for every single individual on the face of the earth. So, first of all, they had the condemnation, right? Um, These signs will follow them from Mark 16. I thought that verse would come up. But God had declared that this would happen, right? That, um, that those who were representing him potentially would even be bit by serpents, right? And they would be by no means harm them, okay? So now all of a sudden these natives, they see what happens to Paul, and they change their mind. And they go, right? He goes from he's a murderer to now he must be what? He must be a god, not, not God himself, because, again, they would probably be, you know, polytheists. They would have gods. And so they think he's a god, just a god, right? And so just what happened again as they were at Derby and Lystra, right, when they healed the, the man there, all of a sudden they became, what, Zeus and Hermes. And so they're going to worship him as, as gods. Well, same thing here. And you can kind of see Paul again probably saying what? No, guys, no, 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 I'm not a god, I'm not a god, I'm not a god, you know? And so, but all of a sudden they're, the fickleness of the change. And again, again, just lessons learned for us. We've got to be careful, the fickleness of how we, we deal with people, okay? And so we end to this, this final part, which is the impacts of his deliverance. The faithfulness of God is being portrayed for us in such a marvelous way. God is true to his word. God is true to his testimony. He holds Paul through these, um, through these um, afflictions, through these trials that are going to go on because he promised that he was going to take him to Rome Okay, and then he gave Paul the promise that all the people were going to be delivered, right? And we see that come true. And this is important not just for Paul, but as we're going to see, for, for what? It's really for everybody else. These aren't just for Paul. These are happening for the centurion, the soldiers, the sailors, and I would venture to say even now, the natives. I think, potentially, God had an appointment for Paul to meet a guy named Publius. Isn't that kind of cool? Just like he had to meet the, the Roman governor down on the Isle of Cyprus. Isn't that kind of cool? How God does this kind of stuff? Okay. And so the fruitfulness of the ministry. Well, we have the healings. First it starts with Publius's father. Then everybody finds out about it. And so the rest of the islanders begin to bring their, their people who are sick. And, and, and there's this big healing service that's going to go on. Right? And so right now, what's happening is God is 
raising up, glorifying, if you would, Paul in his ministry. Why? Why do you think he's doing it? This is an argument from silence. We don't see it here. But what do you think Paul's doing with this moment? What have we seen Paul do with every moment he had? Preaching Christ. Yeah, he's evangelizing. I'm sure at this moment, he's telling them about Jesus. That he's talking all about what Christ has done for him. And da-da-da-da. And that he's not doing this by his own strength, but it's only by the strength of Jesus. And that in the name of Jesus, that these people are being healed. Again, we're not given those details. I think it's probably because it's just consistent with everything else Paul did. Amen. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, these guys are seeing the prophecies that he's declaring on the boat. They see how God brings it to pass. They see him survive, even then the snake, right? And they see the healings. I mean, yeah, exactly. You got, you got all these people are getting saved. I, there's no doubt in my mind. And that's why it's kind of fun going back to that G.A. Hinty book then and him using the centurion, and he calls him Julius. We don't know what his name is. But then being the evangelist, even going into the Britannia and stuff like that. And so I can almost picture that. I mean, you got all these people, even the prisoners, going into the prison system. You know, that, that from this troublesome situation that Paul found himself in. And I have to ask myself, how would I have used him? How would I have used the situation? What would I have been like? Would I have been morose through this whole thing? Would I have been downcast? Or would I be rejoicing in the Lord for the opportunity that he's given me to be able to proclaim his name Trusting him to work in through me a mighty work. I don't know what he would do, but I, I, I mean that God had me there for a reason. Does that make sense? Paul did. And then we have the blessing at the very end. Again, the people then provided for them everything that was of necessity. Now, I don't know how a boat came for them. I'm sure that what they did was they sent a runner to Valletta, okay, or one, whatever the town was up north, to let them know that they had Roman soldiers and sailors and stuff like that down around the bend. And so when the storm was over, they probably brought uh, another boat around the corner to get these guys. Could you imagine stories on that boat? I mean, could you imagine? So what happened to you guys? Well, there was this, 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 no, 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 you missed this part. What about this part? Da, 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 da. And so like you were saying, there's all these evangelists now who are telling the story of how the God of the Jews who Paul calls to be the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one true God, who came to the earth to die for them. Do you see how, how he delivered them? How cool is this? And these islanders, they just come out, and they give them everything they need. They supply for their wants. And so again, I'm mindful of how Paul talks to the Corinthians. If I minister to you in spiritual things, does it make sense that you should also minister to me in physical things even the natives got it even the natives understood it isn't that kind of interesting so in the end how do you respond when life becomes more adventurous than you planned do you know when when our the sponge of our life is squeezed what comes out is whatever's inside does it surprise us what comes out of our sponge sometimes? If things spew out of my mouth, 
that ought not to be spewed out of my mouth is because I'm giving them credence in my heart. Out of the heart, the abundance of the mouth speaks. So if that's a struggle for you, then you need to think that through, right? Okay? So how do you respond? Do you look for opportunities for ministry during each quote-unquote situation, I put the word adventure in there as well, that arises in your life? Do you see them as opportunities that God has sovereignly given you, orchestrating your affairs to present these opportunities for you to do? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We know that you alone are the Most High God. You are sovereign over all the affairs, not only of the nations, but even us individually. And that we know that you want your word proclaimed. We know that you want your name glorified. And so, God, I pray that you would help us do that. I thank you again for this um, illustration, even for the details, Lord, how you have placed in your word um, for us to be able to know of a truth that these things are real. Thank you, Lord, for individuals even like Bob Cranuk that you've used to, to research and find things that uh, archaeologically that, that just show that your word is infinitely true. Be glorified, Lord, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.